Welcome to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery, brought to you by spiritualteachers.org. I'm your host, Sean Nevins. Hello and welcome to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery. So my guest this month is Pat the Barber Crowley. And I just wanted to mention that Pat was recommended to me by a listener. So I really do appreciate that. And please, if you have suggestions for people that you think would be interesting to have on the podcast, let me know. You can go to spiritualteachers.org and you'll find a contact form there. Uh, Yeah, I'm always interested in your suggestions. I get a few each month. Uh, Send them. No, and if you can provide contact info for the person, that's really helpful because sometimes it is difficult to get in touch with people, especially those of you who tell me that you want me to interview Jed McKenna. That's been a little bit challenging. Uh, my only other recommendation is to uh, try to listen to this month's podcast, this interview, in a quiet place if you can. One is because the audio is a little bit low on uh, on Pat's side. Uh, we did it via Zoom, so uh, the connection wasn't all that great. But yeah, you might want to be in a quiet spot. But also because uh, Pat's a really gifted storyteller. And I think that a lot of the feeling of what he's trying to communicate does come through in his words And if you can really give your attention to this interview, I think that will be helpful for just picking up or tuning in to what he's trying to pass. So with that, I will uh, leave you with this interview. Uh, One other thing, if you want Pat's contact info, we do talk about that during the interview, and I did get that put up on the website. So go to the website spiritualteachers.org you'll see a link to the podcast and you can find this episode there and you can reach out to Pat if you want to follow up on any of the ideas you got questions for him and so forth so thanks again uh, it's almost Thanksgiving here in the US so I hope to get one more episode out this year right before Christmas and uh, at that point I will uh, sort of wrap up the year and uh, give you a preview of what's coming next year. Thanks to all of you and wishing you the best. Bye. All right, great. Well, thanks for joining me today, Pat. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. Okay, Sean, you're welcome. Thank you. And uh, I'm in California right now. I was just curious what part of the world you're in. At this moment, I'm in Spain. Great. Yeah, yeah. But um, my home is the is the southwest coast of Ireland. Uh, okay. Right out, right out on the edge of the Atlantic. Oh wow. Yeah, we say down there that the next Paris to us is America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And are you in Spain for uh, pleasure, or are you... Just for pleasure, yeah. Okay, good.
Good. Well, I hope that uh, the coronavirus and the lockdown and all that is not interfering too much. Yeah. Well, at the moment, here, not really. Um, it's obligatory to, to wear masks and things like that. But really, it's pretty relaxed here in the south of Spain at the moment. Okay, good. Well, I, I didn't, uh, frankly, I didn't know a whole lot about you before we scheduled this interview. Um, a friend of mine, Liam, suggested that we get together. And I know that we had uh, briefly talked about that perhaps a year ago, and we just yeah. didn't connect. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm glad to finally be here with you. Uh, I did check out a few of the videos that you have on your webpage, and uh, I will link to those in the show notes for this episode. Uh, one of the things that caught my attention on there was that... Uh, you said something to the effect of you had always been a person who wanted to know the how and why of things. Yeah. And I was curious if, uh, if from a young age, if you would have considered yourself a spiritual seeker or if that was something that developed later in life. Yes. Well, it would have developed later in life. But... When I was able to look back at my childhood, and as a young boy growing up in, in the rural area of Southwest Cork, I was always very curious about, about life and the world, you know, and about animals and about flowers and trees. And I just seemed to have a kind of um, natural curiosity. You know, about things and how it worked and how, where did they come from and, you know, how was this God, how was God involved with all this and, and you know, then after educate, my education, which didn't last very long, I, I left school at, um, at 14. Uh, I never really got into the school atmosphere at all, you know. I disliked it. And um, the only ambition I had there was to get out of it as fast as possible, you know. Uh, I found it very difficult to learn. And yet, somewhere within me, you know, I knew I wasn't stupid. But uh, if there was pressure of any kind put on me, mm. I seem to kind of go blank, you know, and, and retreat into myself or be forced back into myself, you know. And uh, I also know, you know, for some time now, looking back at that childhood and things that I was always very emotionally sensitive. You know? uh, in those days, of course, and at those times, uh, as a young boy, I didn't have words for the feelings at all, you know. But, uh, I know that it was, I'm very emotionally sensitive, and I'm still like that today. But at least now I know what it is, you know, and I can make friends with it, and it's okay, you know. Um, but the, the spiritual steps that came sometime later, 
And is that something that uh, uh, I believe I heard you mention in, in another video that you had two friends, two local friends, and it sounded like uh, they were sort of mentors for you at a tough period of time. Is that, would yeah. that mark the beginning of your search? That's it, Sean. Um, exactly. Um, I suffered from uh, uh, the illness of alcoholism. And um, um, I was hospitalized in a psychiatric unit. And uh, I, I didn't know that time that uh, alcoholism was an illness at all, you know. But, um, um, the two people you mentioned came into my life at about that time, you know, and uh, helped me to, to get sober, you know, and, and thankfully to stay sober. And one of these people was uh, a man called Jim, and to his friends he was known as Spiritual Jim. Yeah. He was very quiet, easygoing, didn't say very much. But the things he did say, Sean, I, I thought were very strange, you know. This wasn't the kind of language that I had ever heard before. And and was the way he was in himself also, you know. He had a very kind of um, quiet, peaceful way about him, you know. Uh, and everything happened very slowly in Jim's life, you know. I, I used to say, you know, that if Jim was to start walking from his home west to the Atlantic, coastal erosion would have traveled the other half to meet him by the time he got halfway, you know. But um, I found myself really liking Jim, you know, and, and, and then some days, you know, I was married with two young children. I had a little business in the town, you know, a home to keep, which I was doing up and I had plenty of things to do, more things I could do than I, than I would have time to do. And then I would find myself driving out to Jim's house, maybe 25 miles away or so. And I often wondered, you know, why am I going out here? You know, I have plenty to do at home, you know. This would be on my day off, weekends or whatever. And um, I know now that there were... There was something about him that was attracting something in me that I wasn't conscious of at that time. You know, I really wasn't. And um, um, then he gave me he he gave, he, did, he he Jim didn't speak very much, you know, and but he gave me a book, and it was the Perennial Philosophy by Aldous Huxley. And in that book, you know, the Huxley speaks and, and draws comparisons between the the mystics of the East and, and the Christian mystics. And it's a good commentary by Aldous Huxley. And I found this very interesting, really interesting, you know. And um, I had never read these kind of books before. No, the only... Uh, knowledge I had about that was, you know, through the 
the Christian story and my Catholicism as a youth, which I had kind of walked away from at, when I was about 15 or something like that. Not that there was anything wrong with that at all, but it wasn't my personality, you know, to rebel and to walk away and this kind of stuff. So um, then he also had a friend who lived in London. Uh, and, and when he came to Ireland on holidays about this time also, I, Jim introduced me to him. And now I didn't know these things until later, but Jim had been enlightened by a profound spiritual experience. In fact, he even said it, you know, that words couldn't, there was no words could hold it or describe it. You know? And and Khan had become enlightened through self-inquiry. And about that time, Khan also gave me some books. And it was um, Zen Buddhism. And I had known nothing about Buddhism whatsoever, you know. And these were three thick books he gave me. I think it was... Uh, Suzuki that had doing the um, translation into English. But I read the three, you know, I didn't know what it was about, you know, what I was reading, but I read them. So there was a hunger in me, you know. And um, um, then um, I, I got a book. Uh, from who I don't know, but it was um, The First and Last Freedom by Krishnamurti. And this really blew me away completely. You know, this, this thing of questioning and finding out, you know, question, 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 and finding out. Like with Krishnamurti, when you think he's going to give you an answer, he just gives you another question. Now, that was his style. I had never re read anything like that before. And uh, I fell in love um, with that uh, style of inquiry. It seems like I was ideally suited to it, you know, at that time. And also, just to regress a little bit, Sean, at the end of my alcoholism, when my body wasn't able to, uh, to process alcohol anymore, you know, it was rejecting it violently. Yeah. And so then I was left with myself and, and, and this insanity in my mind, you know, and I wasn't able to walk. Towards the end, I couldn't drive my car, this kind of thing, you know. And um, eventually, eventually, I reached a stage where I had total ego deflation and death, you know. Later, I read about this now and found out about it. Now. And the feeling was like a feeling of being no person. I felt I was no person. You know, like if my wife asked me, would I have a cup of tea? I'd say, I don't know. You know I couldn't say yes, which seems the simplest thing. And, and that was the turning point really in my life because then I was available to outside help. You know, the doctor and the psychiatrist and so I suppose that that happening in itself 
provided a kind of a platform for all this also, that was to follow later. And um, I suppose there was some spiritual experience, what I've called spiritual experience at that time. Like one morning I called to Jim's house, maybe at about 11 o'clock. And Jim, you know, welcomed me and he made some tea. He was always making tea. He drink tea all day long. And um, he said, it was winter time. He sat at one side of the fireplace and I sat at the other side of the fireplace. And I don't know what we were speaking about, you know, but then I had this kind of feeling that if he was speaking to me, I couldn't hear it. And if I was speaking to him, I couldn't hear it either. Very strange, strange feeling, but not a disturbed feeling. And the other recollection I have of that incident then was, I said to, to Jim, will we go into the nearest town for to have some lunch? And Jim said, lunch? He said, now it's eight o'clock. And I don't know what happened to that day. No. It was like as if time had collapsed uh, any, in the nature of, of duration that it had just collapsed. But I had this most tremendous feeling of well-being. I had never felt like that in my life. It was like I was floating. You know, everything was beautiful and I just felt so, so good, you know, and everything was in its proper place and I didn't have any problems or I didn't feel troubled by things. And, you know, it was so strong that sometimes when I would come from work in the evening and have, have the evening meal with, with Mary and my wife and, and the two children, then I would find myself uh, going down to the seaside, you know, and, and, and laying on the rocks. It was winter time and laying on the rocks with a big coat just staring up at the sky. It was like as if I didn't want anything to disturb this feeling, you know, uh, the business of the day, that if I went to this quiet place, uh, I'd fall into that feeling again, you know. And um, so that was, that had a big effect on me. Then I was beginning to feel that there was another kind of life, or another way of being in life, you know. And so I, I was really... Um, I was reading morning, noon, and night, you know, reading when I woke up in the morning, reading at my breakfast, reading at lunchtime. And during my hour lunch break at work, I'd have the book with me and the restaurant up on the table. You know, I was doing more reading than eating. And then, um, and it, you know what it was like, Sean? It was like having a great hunger, a tremendous hunger. And every now and again, it would be satisfied momentarily. And then the hunger would arise again, you know. And um, 
I was really in love with with that process. It had its kind of difficult periods also. But um, about that time too, uh, I knew I had known Jim and and Khan for about a year and a half to two years at that time. And then one day, Jim told me that he had been diagnosed with cancer. And, uh, and had to be hospitalized. Uh, I was really devastated uh, with this news. No, I was really devastated. So after work each evening, I would go to visit him in the hospital. And uh, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And he wasn't in the slightest upset about it. You know, he, he wasn't saying why me uh, or anything like that. He just seemed to be the usual Jim, you know. And he'd be more concerned about the people, the man next to him in the bed and getting him the paper and all this thing, you know. And then one day, um, I called to see him in the evening and uh, he said, I lost my last fear today. And I said, Jim, I didn't know you had any fear. Oh, I had. He said, today, the surgeon told me um, that I also have bone cancer. And that three months at the most, he had to leave. And uh, he said, my fear was that the lady in the social service office would put me out walking in the road. And he said, when the surgeon gave him that nose, he said, I lost my last fear today. And this, this was Jim's way, you know. And, um, and he and Khan also, um, they had this little thing going on between them, you know, this joke. Uh, Khan was a great rogue, you know. He was very authoritative and would hit you direct with everything right in the face, you know, what he would be saying. And uh, so had their, their little thing that, that uh, you know, Jim would say, well, Khan, I'll return to the source for you. And Khan would say, no, you won't, Jim, I'll be home first, you know. And... Um, so at that time, when he was in the hospital, he said to me, uh, come, call me today from London. And um, uh, he, he told him about his diagnosis and about the amount of time he felt he had to live. And he said to Khan, I'm afraid, Khan, I've beaten you to the jaw. So, at that time, then, Jim went back to London to be looked after by a friend of his. And I went back with him for a week, and then I visited another time. And um, one evening, we were together in North London, and, and, and uh, Khan was saying to Jim, Khan was very upset. He couldn't accept this at all about Jim. You know, it's his closest friend. And... Uh, um, he said, Jim, I won't be here in this world when you're gone. You know? And um, 
about three weeks after that, I was back in Ireland, and uh, Khan had died uh, walking across the lawn of his house. When I had that, I was completely destroyed, you know. And then um, I went back to London to see Jim. And Jim was very afraid, you know. And um, I remember holding him in my arms to say goodbye, you know. And um, I knew I wouldn't see him anymore. You know? It was a tough time. You know? Two of them gone. Uh, within about a year and a half of my meeting them, you know. And, and, and now I was left with these carrier bags of books, you know, and, 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 and on my own, if you like. You know. It kind of symbolized, in a way, you know, this, um, this kind of thing in choir, because it's a long walk, you know. And sometimes, like, I can see that meeting Jim coming into my life, can't come into my life, these books coming into my life, getting sober, and, you know, this inquiry, self-inquiry, our self-realization, there's very much an aloneness about it. You know? uh, at times I found it very hard, and I would try, I would speak to some people, and they didn't know what I was speaking about, really. It wasn't of their interest. They might be had their church and their religion. Now oh, that was lovely, you know. So it was a very, it was a very alone. There was a great aloneness about it. But uh, of course, that's the way it had to be. You know? So then I I went on from there, you know, reading and inquiring and meditating and. And that kind of thing. And were you, in terms of the type of meditation that you were doing or self inquiry that you were doing, were you using the books as a guide or had your friends given you some tools to use? No, it yes, it would be mostly the books, but also I'd find myself. Um, meditating upon these things that I had read, you know, and trying to trying to figure out what it meant, you know, what what did this mean, you know, and um, again, this kind of suited my personality, you know, um, and and one thing that 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 Khan had said to me, he said, you must be very careful upon this path. Now, of self-inquiry, if you're interested. He said, if you're interested in the books I have given you, very good. If you're not, he said, throw them away from you. They're of no use to you. But if this is what you want, he said, be very careful not to get sidetracked. You know, into different organizations or into different kind of self-help stuff. Or, there's so many areas, he said, you can find yourself going off and, you know. So be careful, stay with, with the books you have and stay with your self-inquiry and all will be well, you know. So 
also what Khan had given me was uh, I am that boy now is a Gadako, you know. And ah, this was unbelievable altogether, you know. Now I was really in heaven with, with this book, you know. I loved his style, his directness, you know, his no nonsense, his kind of great simplicity about it and and um you know the, the kind of history of the man himself and the way he was in himself, you know. Um and also I suppose at that time I also got the Diazua by the Ramana Marathi book, you know. And another book I got from a friend who I had introduced introduced to this kind of thing also. And um, um, he got a book called Pointers from Nizagadat, and I, it was Ramesh Beleska. But I'm not sure now about my pronunciations, but I can only pronounce them the way I can, you know. Pointers from Nizagadat. I suppose um, I had been on this inquiry maybe three years or four at the time four or five years, and uh, one Sunday uh, my wife was working and I was sitting in the sitting room and the two children were doing their homework or playing with something. And I was reading this book, Pointless on Nice And to this day, I have no idea exactly what chapter or what lines I was reading. But it's like it's an instant I knew beyond any doubt and without any question whatsoever that there was no such thing as an independent individual entity person called Pat. You know, and I felt these tears, tears, you know, and welling up inside me. Like it, I wasn't jumping around with happiness or this, you know, but there was a kind of a a tremendous relief about it, you know. This was a a big um, a big happening for me at that time. John. I know that at some point you've talked about meeting John Moriarty. Uh, when you is this before that happened, or what's what's um, the time frame? No, th this was after meeting John Moriarty. And it was after, in the year after Jim and Khan had shed their bodies. And um, I had gone through a few depressions at that stage and was feeling very sorry for myself and trying to read. And, and then um, one day I came from work and Marion said to me, my wife, uh, there's a program on on the television and there's a guy on the cover of the TV guide, I think you might be interested. And this was John Moriarty, who I had never heard of before. And so I traveled to see him up uh, the northwest coast of Ireland and, uh, and we became great friends. And, uh, um, at that time, he was a great help to me, you know, John, just just to have that friendship that, and he had been through his own 
rocky road of inquiry to you know and and had uh, walked away from a very successful academic life you know to come back and live in Ireland uh, he had walked in Canada in some university there and um, that was Jim uh, John Moriarty was a big help to me at that time you know, and then, I also then you know, he had some books published, and um, <clears throat> um, but we, when we would go, we'd be usually speaking the, just to be in each other's company. And I would speak about football. We'd speak about just general affairs in, in the world, you know. And uh, but I always came away refreshed. And um, so, in that sense, you know, Sean, um, like the things, the things that that we need, kind of in life, somehow would come our way. Maybe not the things I want, you know. But uh, I have learned that. There's a flow to life, and 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 this flow is to to tap into it, or to be one with it. Is a kind of a heartfelt. It's not head business. It's more heart business. And this realization brought about in me a, a tremendous relaxation and and and. Um, and freed me of a, of a lot of worry and anxiety about the world and about family and about myself, you know, that that everything that happens is the cause of everything that happens, you know, that, that, it, that what I call my life was not really my life, I was only the experience of it, the experience of, the experience of it, you know. And if I just stay still and draw an easy breath, you know, and go with the flow of life, you know, and and let the flow let the flow take me along, you know, not not be fighting or trying to swim against it. If I if I have to pull and push with life, you know, that's me getting in the way of life. And, and so the, you know, the the a lot there was a lot of these kind of. Um, Awakenings came along along the, the journey, you know. Do you think? Uh, I know the idea of of the flow of life is very appealing to people. I'm curious if you mentioned how you had had a couple of down periods, periods of depression before you met John Moriarty. Do you think that those down periods? Are a part of that flow, or, or does flow mean that we're always feeling good and feeling our purpose, feeling like we're headed in the right direction? No, um, like this this flow to life, and and by this flow to life, I don't mean something that's preordained. Because uh, for, I feel that's ridiculous. Because I would um, suggest that there's such a thing as time. 
as in past, present, and future. No, can be decided somewhere in the past and to happen in the future or whatever. So, um, but when I do talk, Sean, and um, for many years now, you know, um, I feel that this path of inquiry, it's very important to bring our humanity along with it. To, to try and recognize the beauty and the burden of our humanity. You know? Because there's nothing outside of the divine. You know? All is within. You know? there, there is nothing outside it. You know? um, so that, that flow to life will also include my sorrows and my burdens, you know. And, and, and sometimes in the burden in life, you know, we have to carry a heavy cross. And, and, and that can be talked and that can be said, you know. Um, like, my feeling is that enlightenment or realization is not something for the person. That's for the person. It's 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 um, the idea of it's it's from the person, no? Because who is this important person pet that's enlightened or that's looking for enlightenment? Because so when I ask that question, inquire into that. Well, then, absolutely speaking. There's no such thing as a separate entity person called that. So how can a non-existent entity absolutely be enlightened relatively or absolutely, you know? So certainly life has had its way with me, you know? Uh, even some years ago there now in the not too distant past, I, I had suffered again from depression and anxiety, you know? But it was a strange feeling, like 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 a lot of the feelings, like of doing the simplest things on a daily basis. You know, I'd find myself feeling the feelings, and I'd find myself doing the doings of the things. But somehow, somehow, I seem to be absent from it at the same time. It's it's different to to my philosophy of life uh, in my earlier years, you know, and even in the earlier years of, of, of the inquiry also, you know, that um, it's like as if I'm watching myself as an actor on a stage, you know, on, on the stage of life. And, but, um, but there's no, there's no such thing really as, as floating away through life, you know, I've been unconcerned by the hearts and the wounds of life and the feelings, you know. Um, surely, you know, it would be a very sad situation if one, if one denied one's humanity, you know, in, in all its form, you know, it, it's, 
It's very important for me to to be compassionate towards the person also. Now with all my with all my um, faults, uh, with with all that's nice about me, and all and all that may be troublesome about me. You know, that I that I invite all that to come and sit by my table also. You know? And 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 for me, that's not in any way outside of uh, self-inquiry, uh, what's called enlightenment or, or realization. You know? It's all path, but this this path kind of came a little bit later, Sean. You know, um, I also then started uh, some. I don't know how many years ago, because uh, what we're speaking about now commenced about um, 30 years ago, you know. And um, so somewhere along the line, then after some years, I got very interested in, in psychology and, and uh, very fond of Carl Jung and reading Carl Jung, you know. So the, it's like as if the search was broadening out and 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 then um, a wondering about about our humanity, you know, and about the person, you know, and what the person is, and where did it come from, and how it's involved with the world, and how it finds itself involved with the world. So I think that brought about in me um, a deeper understanding of that the person also. You know? And that this inner critic, you know, the theater in the mind that has this inner critic and can be sometimes more critical of, 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 of the person than of other people, you know. Uh, this doesn't have the hold on me at all that it, that it once did. You know? So it's a, it's a, for me, it's been a very broad inquiry, you know, I, I also was very interested in theoretical physics uh, to try and come at, a, at the inquiry from another angle of, of, of what matter is, you know, what life is, what matter in particular. And then sometime after that, uh, I became very interested in quantum physics, you know. And so I suppose, I have a great love for all of that, you know, and for all aspects of life. And, you know, um, you know, sometimes we read about the ego and, and, and we hear people saying, you know, well, the ego must be deflated and, you know, we should get rid of the ego kind of. and. You know, well, if you try to get rid of the ego, like the ego, say, okay, come on, let's get rid of the ego. You know, it will hunt with the hare, run with the hare and hunt the hounds, you know. Um, um, so I feel, you know, there shouldn't be any violence. You know? Violence of thought or violence of action towards oneself, towards one body, you know, are, are putting the body through some kind of rituals or 
whatever, I think it's a great violence because what has the body done to anybody? You know, it's innocent and has done no wrong. You know, and uh, you know, trying to change that person and that if I change now, then I'll be better later. In a sense, all this is a violence. You know, of course, changes happen and come their way in their own time. But um, it, it's quite easy to be unconsciously violent, you know. And, and, and we look out and see a lot of the violence, what we class as violence uh, in the outside world, and neglect or be unaware of the violence within ourselves and with our own thinking and attitude. When you say you've mentioned self-inquiry, several times um how how someone came to you and said hey what is this self-inquiry stuff that you're talking about do you have a a definition of it or is that too big of a question well not really because um like self-inquiry um, would be first about finding out what I am. You know? But it's really more about finding out what I'm not. You know? like this is where Nisek Adat in, in his book, I Am That, was a great revelation for me, you know, because he would always say, like, inquire, find out. You, know? you find out. He wouldn't give an easy answers or handy answers that we're always looking for, you know, to these questions in life. And um, so it's about inquiring into, you know, was I born? You know? And what is it that was born? And where did it come from? And where, what will happen when this body dies and the person I take myself to be dies? Because uh, another, another kind of cross I had to bear all my young life and, and from a young child was the fear of death. It was my constant companion. And uh, when I was about 11 years old, my brother Nicholas died when he was 18, and, and that had a tremendous effect on me. You know, the whole grief of my parents, you know, and all, you know, they, they told me later, some years later, that I didn't speak for two weeks, you know. Uh, so this fear of death, so in another way, this was driving me also. You know, to find an answer to, to these things, you know, and and so that's what um, what I would um, say about self-inquiry. That it's mostly about finding out about things we're not, about the the concepts and the the beliefs and the feelings that we get involved with to kind of shelter and house us and, and, and keep us a bit safe and, and secure psychologically, you know. Uh, are these things true? Are these things really true? Because I always had a great 
trouble would be leading in something that I couldn't understand. Um, so um, and inquire into things like, like for instance, um, one of the most difficult periods I was going through was this thing about time, you know, and about the no time, and what was time, you know, and what was eternity, you know, and and. Um, this had been bothering me greatly for a long time, and it was like a puzzle that this seemed to me there was no answer to. So one weekend I went camping, and I went camping on an island off the shore. And I think I took two or three books with me in a little bag and then some food and stuff. And I was reading a book, and I have no idea what book it was now. And it was there on that island, sitting right down on the edge of this island on the edge of the, the wild Atlantic Ocean, you know. And again, it happened just like that. How there was, that there was an understanding of there was, like there's an understanding, that's not of the thinking process, you know. There's an understanding <clears throat> There's an, an understanding that's not, uh, that's not dependent on any words or any philosophy or any thinking process, no? And it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't depend on thought or the understanding. Like it's, 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 it's understood by the totality of intelligence or by our intuitive intelligence, no? Which, which we usually don't, uh, in our world and on in our journey through life, give much attention to it. The intuitive intelligence is the greater path of intelligence, the intelligence at large, awareness at large, the thinking thought, and the thinking process is only an aspect of the totality of, 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 of consciousness, of, you know, this awareness, this kind of knowing. But It seemed to me to be very quickly that another high moment, you know, I completely understood how there was no such thing as time, as in past, present, and future. Absolutely nothing, you know, that anything that ever happened always happened now. You know? Anytime I ever done anything, I done it in the now. To the always now when I done it. You know? And that eternity was not a long time. It was, in fact, no time at all. And the now is eternity. And it's not that I have eternal life, but I am eternal life. There's not somebody who has life. No? I could say, if you want to speak relatively, uh, that it's, it's life who has me. You know, but um, that was really a wonderful thing that, that it's like as if self-inquiry is like having a, a bad second-hand cash on 
that sometimes gives trouble starting and sometimes you have to give help to give it a push, you know, and it starts and it doesn't start and it starts. It's a bit like that. At least this is how it was in, in, in my case, you know. And um, then there was, there was also a nice kind of period that came along and I think it, it was um, a continuation of the times of my childhood, you know. We lived in a little cottage and we had a little bit of land and we had goats and things when I was a young boy. And there was a beautiful hillside with an old stone fort, you know, on top a big stone fort and we used to bring the goats. Sorry, we had to bring the goats in there to milk the goats, you know. And um, this is the place I kind of imagine myself as having most of these questions and looking around, you know. It was a lovely place to be because you feel you are up from the world and away from the world, you know. And um, so then this, this, um, this seemed to, to come up again, you know, my inquiry about nature and about the natural world, you know. And um, uh, you know that um, I think it was Alan Watts, Alan Watts, who really triggered it off when he said, "We don't, we don't come into this world; we come out of it." Yeah. And and that was a great kind of uh, another avenue. You know that that this body um, that I used to call me, you know, take to be me. This body is as much a part of nature, of the natural world, as is a tree, or a flower, or a plant. You know, it it the like like the food my my parents consumed. You know. It came out of the the natural world, the rain, the wind, the sun, the soil, the, the chemicals in the earth. And and when when I was conceived, like the fluids of, of my parents that came together together for this conception was the kind of essence of the seed of, of the food that they had eaten. And then nine months later this this body comes. You know, so we don't come into the world, we come out of it, like out of the natural world. You know, these are food bodies, like they're as much, we're, 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 um, we're much in, as much in time, entwined with nature as any other aspect, aspect of the natural world. And, and sadly, we sometimes feel as a, of ourselves as standing outside and away from looking at something other than self, you know, this whole business of of space and, and the me and the nothing, you know, which is a, another story. I don't know if you like me to speak about that too much. Um, I seem to be speaking too much. No, I, uh, I just hope that people are picking up on the, the feeling of what 
for me, resonates when you talk about things like intuitive intelligence. There's a very specific feeling that is something in addition to the words that you're putting on it. And I, I get what you're saying. And, and I hope that that's being communicated for others because that's incredibly important. I suppose it, it, it brings about a new way of, of being in the world, you know, what we call the world, you know, because it brings a kind of an ease about it, you know, a kind of a, an all rightness about everything, you know, and, and that I don't have to struggle and strife about life. Really, you know, uh, and that the things I will need to know, need to understand, that they will come if they're needed. You know? That this intuitive intelligence is what I am: consciousness, awareness, intuitive intelligence. These are all different names, different symbols. For the, for the same oneness of all things, which is my true nature. Yeah. They're just different names and used in different ways. To explain it another way, it's like the little things I, I, I was speaking about earlier, Sean, and all that, and the little the things that happen, like the realization of time and about, uh, you know, suddenly realizing that there are no such thing as a separate entity. With free will and all that stuff called pet. Um, I've lost my train of thought now again. If I wander off at all, I get carried away, lost in life. But um, so the, this, these all come out of the intuition, you know. And 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 what's important is is, is that intuition is not an aspect of consciousness. You know, there is the intuition and then the intellect as in the thinking process and then consciousness at large. It's all the one consciousness. It's, it's the one totality, you know? But it's not always that it breaks through the, you know, the, the thinking process and the, because we're, we're kind of programmed, if you like, you know, we're kind of programmed to be reactionary mechanisms rather than responding to things. And um, so intuition, it, it, it normally gets crowded out by the thinking process, you know, by the teeth and the mind and the thoughts that go on and the thoughts that bring up the idea of, of me being a person and all this kind of thing. So, but I have found that if it, if I am if I give it if I give it a chance, you know, and, and be quiet and and not a rush, that this intuitive will come more and more to the fore, you know. Uh, and is really our greatest friend, and 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 uh, you know, it will always see us through, and it will always see us right. You know, it's closer to us than our own breathing. You know, it, it's our greatest, it's the greatest gift. Uh, you know that that 
relic, even relatively speaking, we could be giving. You know? And what it does ask of me, Sean, is that I live vulnerably in the best way that I am able. You know, because to live vulnerably is to live freely. You know? But we we don't want to feel vulnerable like because of this me feeling, the me feeling, uh, the ego uh, is always in need. You know? Because there's no such thing as an ego. It's only a feeling. You know? When the young child, the innocent infant is in completeness and doesn't need anything because there's no me as yet after arriving through language and through words and symbols. And um, so this ego just means demands as of, of us security, you know, of, um, we want the future to be safe. We want, we want to know that it will be okay. You know, we want, we want um, and and so the, the the me feeling of the ego never finds any place to to lay its head you know there's the old thing from the biblical thing the son of man will find no place to rest his head or to lay his head you know because the man I take to be myself is just a thought and ego my me feeling. So it's always seeking security and seeking safeness and demanding that of life. And that 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 draws me onward struggling in life and to fight in life and demanding security, you know? Fear of the unknown, you know, which is probably one of the most ridiculous things, you know, to have a fear of the unknown because under any circumstances whatsoever, can I feel what I do not know? It is absolutely impossible. What we actually feel is the loss of the known. We feel the loss of the already experienced. You know? And this is also kind of why we look back at the good old days, you know? and we romance about the good old days, you know, and, and things. And um, <clears throat> Because the me feeling or ego can only exist upon the already known, the already experienced. You know? And it kind of places itself at the center of, as the thinker of the thought, as the doer of the deeds and the actions. You know? But supposing I'm able to live vulnerably. You know? Supposing I, it's a bit like somebody who has, had a book one time called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, you know? So to live vulnerably is to live freely also. You know? And to live vulnerably is to live by this kind of intuitive intelligence, to live from the heart instead of the head, you know? Self-inquiry is 90% heart business you know, and 10% head business. And now I'm not being demeaning against thoughts, the thinking process of the psyche in any way, you know, because I would also be a violent. But um, living vulnerably 
is me falling in with the flow of life, with the intuitive intelligence, with not needing to know. No, I don't have to strive. I don't have to harry an afterlife. No, and drive myself crazy about all these things. Because all this, these are crosses that are not ours to bear. You know, one of the ways um, to explain it is like sometimes I tell stories, you know, and, and there's a man driving along the roadside with a donkey and calf. And there's somebody walking along the roadside. So he stops and asks him if he wants to lift into the town. And he said, yes, I'd be very happy. And he had a bag on his back. And he sat into the, the donkey calf. And the donkey proceeded. And they were speaking about different things. And the owner of the donkey calf noticed the man was still carrying the bag on his back. And he said, why don't you let, let, the, let down the bag there, you know? And he said, well, he said, I wouldn't like to put all the weight on the donkey, you know? And, and we're like this, you know, we carry a load that's not ours to carry. You know? And we sometimes carry a heavy cross that's not ours to carry. And in lots of, you know, that this cross like, is often of our own making and of our own, um, You know, not not really, not really being open to life, and not really wanting to understand life. No, we it all happens in innocence. Like there's no criticism due to anybody. No, there's no criticism whatsoever due. You know, for 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 our humanity or any aspect of our humanity. No, but. We are very often burdened greatly uh, by, and it's not our burden to carry, no. It's mostly brought about by, by the thinking process, by our concepts, attitudes, the attitudes of the society we might be living in. This is why often, you know, somebody once said, um, and I forget who now, like, but if you if you're interested in this kind of aspect, this is probably something that happened a long time ago. Maybe they wouldn't be using the words like self-inquiry or whatever that time out to be mysticism. And that if this is going to be the path you walk, and all you'll be lonely often, and you will be lonely often, and. And not just lonely, but there's also an aloneness about it. You know? That, like, the concepts and beliefs that are generally held in society, like, if you're not, if you're not, if you don't, if you no longer find yourself within all that, but standing outside and questioning it all, you know, you're going to be lonely because they're not many people around you that are going to be standing where you stand. But there is a certain aloneness about it, you know. But if I if I'm trying as best I'm able to live vulnerably, then the conflict goes out of it, you know. 
because a lot of the pain I have found in life comes out of conflicts within myself. You know? Like if I'm depressed, and I don't speak lightly about these things now, I'm philosophizing about them at all. You know? But like if I'm depressed, and I don't accept, or if I refuse to accept or acknowledge that I'm depressed, you know, then I have two problems. You know? I have the depression and I have the conflict with not being willing to try and accept the depression. You know, now there's two, and the conflict can be more painful than the depression, you know? And, um, But it, I'm not speaking like about these in some kind of a, a philosophical manner at all. And I can only um, have these ways of looking at things if I'm able to do it. And, and, and we often say and, and so on the same, like we must accept that I need to accept or they're not accepting. But really, if I if there's a full acceptance, there is no problem, no. So there's nothing to try for. So what, all I can do is to be try is to try and accept, to be even to be willing to try and accept. Now I'm on the on the road towards dealing with the situation, you know, and not being uncomfortable. I come from a a background, I'll say a spiritual background of. Uh, looking for tools and techniques and uh, for example when you talked about intuitive intelligence uh, a part of my path was trying to improve my intuition and trying to do uh, experiments that would improve the intuition uh, things like purposely being in nature you know, going out and being in nature. And, uh, you know, I can remember doing things which seemed silly at the time, but hugging a tree, trying to see if, if I felt anything when I was close to this tree. I get the sense from you that the heart, the intuitive intelligence was something that uh, was just more natural for you or something that you that you didn't strive so much to find this intuitive intelligence that it just kind of arose is that true or or was there a struggle on your part to connect with that intuitive intelligence i don't know sean if there was a struggle as such um you know i i think once once uh, the intuitive intelligence, you know, has an opportunity to come through, then it kind of does the rest itself as such. It, all that's, um, that it's demanding of me is not to put up obstacles in its way, you know. And, and that's usually by the, you see, we're addicted to thinking. Um, we're addicted to thinking 
and and we think that it is we who are thinking the thoughts, no? which is absolutely ridiculous, no? because of all the thousands and thousands of thoughts that fly through consciousness uh, each day, it would be impossible to think the thoughts, no? and um, there's no such thing. Thoughts think themselves. No? Usually, one thought coming into 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 being uh, in association with the last thought. No? If I'm thinking something sad thought, then that will bring another sad thought, another sad thought, and, and so on. This was also an aspect that was very important for me when it happened, this freedom from the idea that I would be thinking of the thought. And, and of course, one of the ways that that opens up is because now I'm looking at the thoughts. No, like I would watch a passing car. No, it's none of my business, the passing car. I'm just looking at it passing. No? So the same with thoughts. No, this is at times now when it doesn't overpower me, no? because the teeth of the mind has its way with me very often. So then you see there's a little distance as it was opens up. And this, 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 this is half business now, you know? Again, this is half business and half business is, is like the half of all beingness. So when, we, when we say we're speaking from the half, we're, we're speaking about the totality of all beingness, you know? We call it the half, but it's actually the totality of all beingness. So now there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a passageway for this, intuition and intuitive intelligence to come more to the fore. No? All that's happening is some of the obstacles and obstructions have been have been moved aside, you know, with the realization I'm not thinking of the thoughts. Therefore that my thinking about self-inquiry and my struggles with things, yes, thought plays a part. But like as John Moriarty said, you know, the mind is not the window to the soul, it's the blind. No? So when the mind is asked to step aside, then soul business or half business, and, and that's what intuition is, and, and not intuitive intelligence is. No, it's half business because it belongs to the center of all beings. No? It, it's part of our homeland, it's part you know, of, of our true nature, of where we reside, you know. Uh, and so it's not, you know, it's not something to get anew. Anything along the path of self-inquiration is not something we get anew, you know, because everything we get anew will be taken away from us eventually, you know. You know, anything, but so all of this uh, realization, intuitiveness, uh, this is all part of, of my true nature, of my ancient nature. Well, even that presupposes that there's time, but you know, it's not something that's coming in. All that's been happening is that the obstacles, like if I'm sitting in a room of a house and it's dark and it's dull, um, 
there's no point in me going outside and trying to get the sun to come in the door and down into the room and push the sun and pull the sun. No, all I have to do is just draw black, draw back the blind and the sun flows in. So a lot of a lot of the the aspects of this journey along the way is about removing the obstacles. Yeah. And and these obstacles get removed by various realizations uh, by the intuitive intelligence along the way. For a person who who struggles with the thinking mind, uh, who say sits down to meditate and is just bombarded by thoughts. It's just they have a noisy mind, let's say. Uh, do you have any suggestions for a person like that, or do they just need to struggle with struggle with it and find their own way? Yeah, when I when I first started to meditate, I found it very difficult, and and I sometimes I'd have to get up and walk away because the teeth in the mind was so strong that I, you know. And sometimes when I started going back to these quiet places of my childhood, you know, in the in the beginning I couldn't stay there very long either. You know, because it was too quiet, it was too raw, it was too much of nature for for my head to bear, you know. And everybody kind of meditates in their own way, you know. You can only meditate the way you're able to meditate, you know. And, and it's very much an individualistic thing. And, and here again, there must be great compassion for one side, you know, and not trying to get anything. Like if, if, if my mind would only stay quiet, then I could find the peace. And then I'd meditate properly. So if I get something now, later on, it'll be better, you know, which is to get up on the whole, cut up on the whole thing of time, you know. Which is again being carried away in another illusion. No? But, you know, if I remain as the, like if I watch the thinking process, what they call remaining as the witness. If the dog is barking, if somebody's hooting a cat outside, then I just observe all that also. No? If thoughts are passing, they are observed also. In meditation, there's nothing wrong whatsoever. And because we speak generally of meditation as, as time sitting quiet with life is a meditation. This is only an inter meditation and sitting is only an introduction to life or a way of being in what we call life, another way of being. And, and also, that it's just not the thoughts on their own that take us off because every thought brings up a sensation, a physical sensation in the body. You know, we usually feel it in the solar plexus area, but very trouble and very sad and anxious. Sometimes our stomach would get sore, you know, the nerve endings. And so if I watch that sensation, you know, and, and, and think of it as like a spark that flies out of an open fire, you know, onto the floor. 
it has only a momentary existence and it's gone. So if I watch the, the thoughts, but most of all, watch the, the body sensation that the thoughts will bring up. I know I'm not reacting to those thoughts, now I'm responding. And there's a, there's a world of, there's worlds of different, because you know, a reaction will demand another reaction, another reaction. Whereas the response is of the now, of the moment, you no? Know? And it doesn't, it doesn't demand or create another response, you know? It arises and, and sinks into, into the now, present moment. And, and that, that, that watching that body sensation and feeling it kind of falling away, then in that way, one can break the chain of reacting and reacting to the thoughts. One is no longer in conflict with the thoughts. One is just observing the thoughts and watch the feelings that they bring up, watch the in physical, because uh, the physical aspect of meditation is, is very important also because it's here. No? It's not just something in the mind, something distant, far away, or not touchable, but one can just feel the physical sensations. And it's mostly to these physical sensations that we react to. We think it's to the thoughts that the thoughts that trigger, but usually it's the, it's the physical sensation we react to in life. Like, and this meditation can be done in the coffee shop, in the bar, or you're stopped at the traffic lights, sitting in your car, whatever. No? It just takes a few minutes to watch the breath entering the nostrils or the mouth and leaving. This is a good way just to bring attention, of course. And then to watch the, the bodily sensations and, and seeing the thoughts. Mm. Moving away or, or slowing down and not having, you know, not, not having the same hold on me physically. You know, because if I'm reacting, if I'm reacting and then I'm feeling angry and, and, and let's say I could be doing something, Sean, drinking a cup of coffee in the coffee shop. And then the tear from the mind starts and something sad starts and then another sad thought comes and this feelings, the feelings in the body will start to feel sad and I start to feel heavy. And, and then maybe if I, an angry thought comes or upset, that these people upset me, then another angry, I, I'm just sitting drinking a cup of coffee. I don't want to be thinking those things at all. And I'm not thinking them either. They're thinking themselves into existence, but I'm reacting to them. Huh? And in, in, in reacting to them, I'm, I'm claiming them as mine. I, I, I'm getting cut up and, and being taken away by, by this, that is none of my business. Uh -huh. and, and so it's very easy to, to get taken away. And, you know, this is the wonderful thing about inquiry, you know, that there are so many aspects to all this. And, and also, Sean, like, it's why I have the very strong feeling that in all of this scene, 
all humanity, we must take it right along with us all the time. You know, not to be critical of the self, you know, of blaming myself for what happened in the past. And, you know, understanding liberates. Understanding liberates. It doesn't necessarily liberate in the sense that these mechanisms of the mind, uh, these reactions of the mind, these things still happen. Um, so liberation doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, I'm, I'm no longer this reactionary mechanism that gets aggravated when there's a traffic jam or gets aggravated when the coffee shop closed early and now I can't get a cup of coffee. Like those things still happen. Yes, exactly right. But now, because I'm more aware of these things, I notice them happening. And so I'm not getting caught up with them as much. I notice myself getting irritable with the traffic or with somebody who comes in front of me in a queue or something like that when it's not their turn. And it's not that I have to make an effort to observe. Like, you know, we spoke earlier about, about the witness. Uh, a lot of what we're speaking now would be about the witnessing. But first, there's a witness. You know? I'm the witness to what's happening. And then there's only witnessing without a witness. So it would be true to say that now there's witnessing of these things. And in this witnessing is included the person. And this is a wonderful, warm kind of heartfelt way of being you know. because all through nature like is complete and without any want whatsoever or without any need like like we say like what we call love you know, what is love you know? and love is my true nature like because there's no want it feels fulfilled it feels complete it feels uplifting you know, and 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 so when there's witnessing, it's so different from there's someone witnessing, and this, this idea, this, you see, there's a very important thing here, Sean, is that is that witnessing. And being, being a witness, like, okay, someone witnessing something, and there's, wit there's a witness, 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 I'm confusing myself here, which is nothing new to me, but then, um, like, remaining as the witness, and then there's only witnessing. You see, witnessing is, is not something new. It's not another step on from, from 
the meaning of the witness because there's only witnessing anyway. The idea that there's someone called Pat witnessing, absolutely speaking, is just not true. Like we speak, we can speak in two ways relative to Pat, the person, the body, and the mind are speaking absolutely. So this this witnessing is what happens anyway. Only that uh, through the thinking process and through me uh, taking this body and this person to be all that I am, you know, that I, I get carried off and think that that convinced that I I am an independent and clear person witnessing what has happened. And, and so I'm addicted to that and think that, oh, uh, sort of mean, when there's only witnessing, that there's something way beyond me altogether. Well, it's not at all. It's because it's my true nature. It's what I am. It's what's happening all the time. A lot of these things we think are far away and, and, and that some people have realized and other people haven't realized and some people are enlightened and other people, there's no such thing. No? All, are, all are enlightened. All are, you know, may, maybe people may not realize it, of course, you know, and, and are, are biding their time in the body-mind complex, and that's fair enough. No, there's no, there's no blame you there either, no, because it doesn't matter because they're enlightened anyway. They are the source anyway, like they are the divine ground. No? The, we haven't traveled out from our father's house like the, in the old biblical, you know. We only think we've traveled, like we travel all the time, but we only think we've gone out, but really we're traveling within. We haven't go out at all, like the, the, the paradisal gates have never closed behind us. No? They closed in front of us because we are still within. Thank you for that. Welcome, I want to stay conscious of our of our time, even though <laughs> in the big picture <laughs> that may all be an illusion. Yeah. <laughs> the irony of of checking the clock doesn't escape me right now. Um, I, just a couple more questions, and yeah. uh, and these might be uh, well, these might be a little philosophical. Um, I'm just, but I am curious if you have a if you have a sense of a of a cosmology, if you will. Of uh, you, you mentioned fear of death and wanting to know uh, what death is. Uh, from your perspective now, can you say a little bit about what your view is about what happens to uh, Pat the individual at death? Do you, for example, do you think there's reincarnation? Or, or that this is part of some evolution of of the soul, or do you have any views along those lines, or do you just kind of, has your enlightenment sort of swept all that off the table? 
Yes. Well, you see, we are we we inquire and we wonder a lot about what happens after life. You know? Is there life is there life after death? Or what happens? Would we never ask what happens before life? No, where did life come from? Or what is life? Is what is this beingness? No, like we spoke about the wave and the particle earlier on. You know, what is this? What is it that all this stuff comes out of bodies? And you know, where is the life force? What is it in? You know, and um, so, like absolutely speaking. There is no such thing as, as an independent individual called Tata person that was born and that's going to die. There's absolutely no such thing, no matter how much, how, you know, it only appears that way. And um, so, and that that Tata person is a convention, it's an idea, you know? Like, which pet am I? No. Since I was that young boy we spoke about earlier, since I was a teenager, since I was in my late teens, going about my business in the world, and then as a young man and later, and now I'm in the, you know, seven, 71 soul, and in the season of the falling leaves, you know. So which identity is mine? No. There never has been a steady identity, you know. Because the me feeling arises with a thought. It's a thought. No? So which me am I? No? Even the body, if I look at the body, is constantly changing. No? It's constantly evolving. No? And so which me am I? It's only an idea. It's only a thought that arises upon the, the shoulders of innocence when the young child in its completeness, in its paradisal state, you know? the, ba the, the baby, the, the newborn baby, you know? and it neither knows of nation, of family, of brothers, of sisters, or any of these um, things have, have as yet played no part in its life, but it feels complete and perfect and knows it exists. You know? And so then, through, through language and through, you know, the, the parents or the brothers and the sisters, the child hears the language, you know, and, and then because I have grandchildren myself, you know, so I too am involved in all this game, you know, and there's no harm at all. But like, you know, I have one grandson called Joseph and the other grandson called Samuel, and I have other grandchildren as well, Jessica and Leah, who are out, out in the world in their business. And so I say, this is Joseph's shop, no? and this is Joseph's nose, and this is Joseph's ear. So then, for the first time, and very, very slowly and insidiously, the child starts to identify itself with the body. It was oblivious to the body before that. Absolutely oblivious to the body. And then what rises up with this is, you know, the me feeling. The me feeling was absent 
from the equation completely before that. You know? So now this me feeling, you know, this is Joseph or this is Samuel, the name, and, and the name is me. So this me feeling kind of this shady nothingness like comes into being. And this is where the problem really arises. You know? Here space arises. You know? And space is pulled on a concept. Because if this is me, then the table is not me. And if, if this is me, then my mother is not me. And my, and my brother is not me. So this is the belt of duality. You know? Then we're off on, on the road of duality. You know? And we forget about the glories we have known, the glory of the oneness of all things like the infant child was. You know? And um, so this is all like our fall from grace, and this is all, you know, leaving our father's house or whatever kind of terminologies uh, one wants to put in it. And so what self-realization is, is, is realizing that we have never lived, you know? that I, I still am that innocence. You know? The child is, is, is held up in a lot of philosophies and religions, you know, like uh, to become a child into the kingdom of heaven again and all this kind of thing, because it represents the innocence. And that innocence is my true nature. Because you know, innocence is love, completeness, wholeness. You know, and now, Sean, I'm at forgetting your question again, which is nothing <laughs> new, and maybe which is not ham. <laughs> your answer brings me back to that idea, which which others will occasionally speak of that there's no there's no enlightenment for the individual. Uh, that it's not something uh, additive. It's not something that oh, Pat is enlightened. Well, uh, let let me ask a, let me ask it from a slightly different angle. Then uh, does the idea of a soul mean something to you? It's certainly an ancient idea that a human being has a soul, and obviously religions have been formed around the idea that there's an eternal soul. Uh, do, you th do you see a way that that is a reflection of the truth that you have realized, or is it a distortion of that truth? Or what, what, is, what is that idea getting at of the soul? Unfortunately, Sean, we suffer from what Carl Gustav Jung termed the regrettable smallness of the soul. Mm -hmm. Because the idea of individual soul comes along with the idea that there is an individual, that there's a person. No? But this is absolutely ridiculous. Like I can't be a separate soul and then and and then say I I'm the oneness that that's my true nature, the oneness of all things, the totality of intuitive intelligence that that that's my nature. This whole idea of any individual, like when I speak of intuitive intelligence, uh, if I were to use the word soul, 
in a different way. It should be it uh, should be about the totality of, of my true nature, what I truly am. You know? With the word soul brings up a lot of connotations with it of individuality. And like now I remember your question about reincarnation and what happens at, you know at death. Well I can't I can't at all go along with that idea of reincarnation because number one, what is to be reincarnated? And who is to be reincarnated? No? The body, this material body, which is only in appearance and consciousness anyway, there's no such thing as a solid body or solid matter anywhere. It's all just energy localized in some one form or another. No? So the the body is not going to be reincarnated or survive that whatsoever. Tata person was never there in the first place, absolutely speaking. It was only there in thought no? and carrying thought. So what what happens at death is that I remain what I have always been. You know? Pure awareness, pure, pure bliss. No word can describe it. You can only describe and use words upon what it is not. But there's no word hold. Uh, it's beyond all descriptions. You know? And outside any attempt, because our words, our words generally either describe or distort something. Or they don't create anything like the word tree is not a tree. The word God is not God. No, these are only descriptions uh, that we use. But um, but it would be so if there if if there was no thing as an individual called that the person that was born in the first place, then who would be reborn? No? Absolutely speaking, like it, it's out of the question. No, and and. Um, and a lot of this comes about also because we're kind of addicted to 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 our, to our our given world, our sensorial given world, what we call the real world, no? And we think this is the only solid reality that there is. But there's nothing argued about it. Absolutely speaking, the only sure, safe thing is my true nature. No? We're just journeying in a strange land. No? We're only visitors here. We go like we're on a psychic visitors here. You know? There is another. There is another reality that's not available to the senses to see, hear, taste, touch, smell, and the interpreting sense of the mind. You know? But we think if if it's not available to our senses, then it's not real. You know? But that is not a target. The, the senses only give us uh, a kind of a chosen reality, not a limited reality. Well, I, Pat, I appreciate your patience with my questions. No um, if if people wanted to get in touch with you, uh, is the uh, is the website the best way to reach out? Um, I don't know how active how active. Um, that website is the best way really to, to contact me is is through through Liam. You know, Liam is the 
is the man who tries to keep me a little bit organized. <laughs> a little bit of shape to me, you know. <laughs> okay, I will. Uh, I'll get in touch with Liam, and uh, we'll see how we can. Uh, you know, for example, after listening to this, people might want to talk with you a little further, and uh, yeah, we can yeah. figure out a way to that people could get in touch with you if they're interested. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I appreciate that, Sean, very much. And um, it's really been lovely, lovely speaking to you and, and to meet you. It's been great talking uh, with you as well. And uh, and I do want to let people know that you have a book, uh, The yeah. Rose in the Stone. Yeah. And uh, it is available in the U.S. Uh, the Kindle version is available. I just checked on Amazon the other day. So people can get a hold of that if they're interested as well. Okay, that's great, Sean. Thank you. It's been very nice uh, meeting you, Sean, and very nice to speak with you. And, yeah, uh, it's been uh, great as well. And, and uh, yeah, maybe we could do a follow-up sometime because, uh, why not? Yeah. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, I, I get a real sense of... Uh, I don't know, the feeling of your search in the space especially struck me. It seemed like you allowed a lot of space in your search for something to arise and give yourself time. And, uh, and I really appreciate that. Thank you, Sean. And um, I just want to say, you know, the, the work that you're doing, like when I was starting out, you know, I found myself upon this, this path of this journey, you know, wow, it would have been wonderful if I had something like the the Sean Nevin podcast to tune into and hear speakers, you know. Then there was just nothing, you know. Uh, I think the the book I am that by now is good at. I had to come from Canada to Dublin mm -hmm. and then down to West Cork, you know. Now it's so beautiful. Now we're so blessed with the, this um, wonderful tech, you know, that we can do what we are doing now and that, you know, people can listen in and maybe some, in some little way get, get, get pulled and pushed along the way in their own little journey or even just to hear, to have heard of this idea of this whole thing at all is a wonderful thing and a great blessing. So you're doing a fantastic job. Sean, and I hope it goes well for you. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks for that. I appreciate it. Well, good luck to you. Bye, Sean. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery. I'm your host, Sean Nevins. For more information about today's guest, as well as more interviews, books, and other resources, go to spiritualteachers.org. That's spiritualteachers.org.